You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on sexting and whether it influences our sexual behavior and practices. Our main topic is on outdoor sex and other thrills. We discuss sex play that can be fun to indulge in, yet might have consequences if you're caught. We close out the show with a question on how to discuss physical appearance with potential furry partners. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. So I was browsing, you know, as I secretly do, um, articles on sex and relationship. I was going through science journals while I may or may not have been at work and had access to, you know, certain databases. And I actually came across one that was really interesting that came out rather recently. Uh, There was a study done by some professors of communication at North Carolina State University. And they were looking into the metadata on scientific journals and articles, rather, that focused on sexting. And they wanted to see if there was a correlation in the metadata and also the actual information presented between sexting and whether or not people who use sexting also engage in riskier sex practices. People who use sexting? You sound like you're 70 years old, Metric. I know. Well, it's... <laughs> that's, that's, you have, know, ever, have you ever used the sexting? <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah. It's, it's, that's, you know, what, what people want from me, apparently, is to be geriatric. Um, but, you know... That's it's, Yeah, straight up, let me tell you. Um, I've become mega daddy. So... The whole thing is there's there's this cultural and media phenomenon. If you look at, I don't know, fuck it, Nancy Grace, any 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 kind of jackass who has a television show and hates America, apparently, says that the youth are sexting and it's turning them into sexual deviants. Then there are researchers who are questioning, and they're they're not positing, they're wanting they're they're questioning. If there is a correlation between adults who sext and also engage in sex with the people they're sexting, does it mean that they're going to be barebacking more often? Does it mean that they're going to engage in overall riskier sex? Um, You know, things like, you know, according to some researchers, riskier sex is having more than one partner at the same time, things of that nature. If they're going to cheat more... How does it impact their disclosure? How does it impact their sex life? And so the thing is, is that there is actually a lot of work being done on this phenomenon of sexting. As um, Kami Kosenko, who is the associate professor of communication and lead author of this paper, um, she wanted to analyze the broad study, you know, the broad body, rather, of work to see if anything can be gleaned. And so... She and her team found 234 journal articles that looked at sexting, and then they removed studies that didn't look at the relationship between sexting and behavior, and as well as any studies that didn't, you know, include clearly defined quantitative measures of sexting. So basically, you take out all of the chaff, things that are just like, well, 
meh, you know, sexting is a thing or sexting influences behavior, but we're not going to show you how, you know, we're going to keep up the mystery, um, which is kind of weird in a scientific article. <laughs> Anywho, um, so they were able to narrow down 234 articles down to 15. And again, they're looking at whether there's a link between sexting and sex, sexual activity, unprotected sex, the number of sexual partners one has. And they found that there is a weak statistical relationship between sexting and all of those categories. And that's solely looking at correlation. So it is impossible to tell if sexting actually influences behavior at all. Now, the reason that I want to talk about this is because within the fandom, there's a lot of odd sex shame on people that use Twitter for porn, whether it's furry art, whether it's, you know, hey, look at my dick, and it's their actual real-life dick. People have, you know, a penchant to use After Dark accounts to, you know, network with like-minded people. And there's this odd sex-shaming you know, kind of subculture within the fandom. There used to be this uh, this Tumblr account that would fake an After Dark account to add himself, add themselves rather to uh, other furry individuals After Darks, and from there they would basically mass save all of the pictures and then upload them to Tumblr to be like you need to be more careful. You need to stop posting naked pictures of yourself on the internet. Look what everybody's going to see now when they search your name. Look, it's you naked. And for some people, that was a mild issue, um, especially for certain individuals who had After Dark accounts who um, may or may not have been over the age of 18, um, who... We're like, oh, great, you're posting child pornography now. Thanks very much. Like, I'm breaking the rules of Twitter, but you're breaking the law now. Congratulations. Um, you know, there were other people who were like, well, great, my face is in all of these pictures, and I work at a job, and congratulations, you can get me fired. There's this odd sex shaming that goes around with people that role-play, that, that use Telegram to, to engage in, in sexting, to engage in role-play, to engage in any kind of sexual play. And it's important to note that a lot of the these these positions that people have come from a place of, of shame, obviously. Maybe they don't like the way that their body is, or maybe they don't think that you should like the way that your body is. Maybe it comes from a place of a conservative upbringing where, well, you should save that for your boyfriend or girlfriend. It could come from different places, but what's really kind of, you know, important to understand that as rational, consenting individuals that engage in sex, sexual role play, sexting, is that we have to have the agency to to understand, like, what it is that we're doing. And when it comes to things like sexting, we, 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 we are in full control of what we're doing. And you should never let anybody kind of tell you otherwise. You should never let anybody tell you that what you're doing in terms of sexting is going to have a, an impact on your actual sex life. It, it, it's going to have an impact on your ability to make rational decisions. The fact that you sent somebody a naked picture is going to mean that you are not going to inquire about somebody's 
um, you know, STI states before you have unprotected sex for the first time, that when you sexed with somebody, you're going to ignore shitty behaviors because you just want the dick. And while some people might fall into the category of ignoring shitty behavior because they just want the D that doesn't really play into sexting. That's, that's a general characteristic. I mean, people go to the club all the time. They see people acting shift, you know, shifty and they're like, well, they're kind of cute. So I'd blow it. It doesn't have to do with the ability to see somebody's penis on a virtual environment it has more to do with the idea that you just kind of want sex and that's fine. So don't let people kind of come in and sex shame you, slut shame you, shame you in any way if you're sexting. What's actually interesting in all of these studies is that there actually isn't an agreed on definition for sexting. Is it sexually oriented text? Is it photos? Is it video? What is sexting? Researchers don't even fucking know. So the two take-home messages from this study, the first is that sexting does not appear to pose a public health threat to America's youth, so stop fucking panicking, stop throwing these kids in jail for sending each other nude pictures, it's fine if, like, back in my day before we had photo messaging, if we wanted to see each other naked, we didn't go on Snapchat, we just went to the bathroom, like, oh no, heaven forbid. The second is that this is something that we should study. We should study sexting. But we need to assign and design a better study to it. We need to clearly define what sexting is, at least in a scientific sense. And we also need to create more robust survey questions and methods, ones that are not necessarily tied in sex negativity. Because unfortunately, a lot of the people that do research on sexting and other sex behaviors, you have good people, you know, you have your Deborah but then you have your bad people, like, you know, Dr. James Dobson, who hates sex and hates anybody that's not Christian and male and white. Uh, I mean, he really kind of does, like, maybe not so much the white part, but uh, <laughs> he is... He does not like the gays. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's important to understand, you know, the takeaway from all of this is that if you're sexting, you're, it doesn't make you a bad person. If you're engaging in role play and everybody's down with it. Like, you know, don't just be like, well, sexting's fine and it isn't going to impact me. So I'm just going to send random RPs to people and I'm going to, you know, send pictures of my butthole to everybody on my contact list. That is not the takeaway. The takeaway is, of course, that you need to engage in these sorts of behaviors just like they are regular run-of-the-mill sex. If you're going to sex with somebody, you should probably ask them if they're wanting to do this. You need to get that disclosure. You need to get that enthusiastic consent. You just don't wantonly say, hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but here's my butthole, so fuck me maybe. Like, you don't want to do that. You want to go about it in a way that everybody is on board. And if you use sexting as a means to find potential sexual partners, that's fine too. But you have to move beyond the act of sexting. You do have to ask those important questions. Hey, you're really cute. You think I'm really cute. We should probably fuck if you want to. But before we do that, let's disclose our sexual you know, practices. What are we comfortable with? What is your status? When was the last time you're tested? And you do this in a way 
that is mature, and you do this in a way that is offline. I never really feel comfortable when I see people discussing other people's sexual, you know, practices or statuses on the internet. I feel like that is something that is best left offline. Otherwise, it leads to awkward witch hunting. It's a private sort of thing. So, so be careful with that. If you communicate solely through Twitter, move it to direct message. Don't have it like out in the open. You want to make everybody kind of look their best, and you want to avoid people from from being the subject of witch hunting. It's not a good thing. So, you know, if you're sexting, have fun with it. Enjoy yourself. Whatever sexting means for you. And just like we always say, it's important to ask the question, what does blank mean for you? So we're going to move on to our main topic this week. And uh, this main topic actually comes from a lot of questions that we've had over, you know, the year plus that we've been doing this. Uh, A lot of people are curious as to how to go about exhibition play, how to go about, you know, outdoor in public kink and fetish indulgement. Yeah, and I just want to say right there, too, there's a lot of different things wrapped up in that. And I, I want to mention that based on these behaviors, people will do the same behaviors for different reasons sometimes. And I think it's important to just realize this is kind of a catch-all because we want to, we kind of want to talk about the behavior of like being sexual in a public space and not so much like the kink or the reason that's actually turning you on for why you're there to begin with or why you're enjoying it. For some people, they might be there because they're turned on by the chance of getting caught. Some people are turned on because they spiritually feel like sex and nature is something that they enjoy for like a therian or like a spiritual reason. For some people, it's just the kink of being sexual in a place where you're not supposed to be. For some people, it's so it's kind of just being getting t- turned on by the naughtiness of it. And you know, in some cases, it's that people who are just turned on by the some other component of it, the fact that they're like you know doing it in. Not me not taking all of their clothes off, the fact that it's kind of this, you know, secretive thing. It's not, you know, out of the public eye, out of society. It's some people like the transgressiveness of that as well. So there's a lot of different reasons to be in public for sex and why you might want to be based on what arouses you. But uh, there's a lot of factors at play in the behavior. And we're going to kind of talk about the behavior for the most part because that's kind of a good way of kind of centrally talking about all these different kinks and fetishes that might lead you to get there without having to make a show about foot fetishists and a show about exhibitionists and a show about whatever, right? So we can kind of talk about all of that. Yeah, you know, it's I do I do kind of think there are, you know, I think back to a time when I think about public play where, you know, it, it was difficult to find, you know, sex partners. And really the only way that you could in some locations, and even now the only way that you can is, you know, hey, there's a park that, you know, from midnight to two, some guys go out and they give blowjobs and, you know, the sexual awakening of a teenager to go out, you know, go cottaging if you're in England or, you know, go to a park if you're me, you know, growing up gay in the South. And that's the only way you can find somebody, you know, some people, you know, the mentality behind it is, you know, it bring it takes them back to that time. So I mean, you know, like Vera said, there are so many different mentalities as to why people would want to go about doing these sorts of things. You know, so it's it's that in itself is an entirely separate episode. But you know, I kind of want to talk about why you know 
public play in some cases can be really awesome. You know, it can be kind of, you know, this, this sexual awakening or rejuvenation for some couples, you know, the fact that, you know, you might be on, Hey, we're on vacation. Let's try something crazy. Let's try something fun. You know, we have a lake house. Let's, let's do it on the fucking patio. Like there's a deck and it looks out on the lake and, Oh no, there are neighbors across the lake. Maybe they can see us. Maybe they don't. Maybe they like what they see, you know? Mentality like that can be awesome because it, it it does recharge, you know, sexual energy and sexual passion in a relationship. You know, sexual inventiveness and creativity over time can't stagnate in a relationship, especially if your idea of a crazy night is we're going to go from missionary to doggy. And that's not to say that people can't have rewarding sex lives, you know, doing plain old vanilla sex, you know. Lots of people do, and for them, it's a lifelong, you know, a life full of sexual pleasure and gratification for both parties. But just based off of everything that I've seen, everything that I've researched, everything that, you know, I've been exposed to over time, sexual play that isn't inventive, that doesn't have a level of imagination, can get rather dull. And for some people, the idea of changing things up, the idea of, you know, well, you and I are both into, you know, feet. So wouldn't it be fun if we go out and we're barefoot or we're in flip-flops and the entire day we're just checking each other's feet out and we're taking pictures of each other's feet. Oh no, we're at a restaurant and I'm sneaking under the table and I'm taking pictures. Oh no, nobody's ever going to know or will they? You know, it's kind of imaginative. It's kind of fun. It it's isn't really theater of the mind. It's, or maybe it's just even like, you know, we're both going to wear our, our thongs today or we're both going to wear our jocks to work today yeah. and we're going to meet up after work and we're going to, you know, we'll just get dinner, but we'll both be knowing that we, each other's wearing their jock, right? Like, so there's just a, a bit of a secret thrill involved in that, right? Where you're not really exposing anyone else to the fact that there's any kink play happening at all. It's mostly theater of the mind. But the fact that you know it's happening and the fact that it's happening in public, even though nobody's aware, is actually the kink. So it's not so much that you're being turned on by the chance of being found out, but you're being turned on by the fact that no one can find out, right? Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, the hush plugs. You know, I know that they're marketed for Those are long kind of allowed, to be honest. I have to say, we actually did maybe try that. And, eh, not sure if I can endorse, but these uh, low settings. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that, that same kind of mentality, you know. Hey, we're going to go out to the movies and you're going to wear a plug and nobody's going to know, but I'm going to know. And you're going to, I mean, obviously you're going to know you've got a butt plug, but, and you're going to enjoy it. Only that hunt high during the action scenes though, because it is kind of <laughs> a loud buzzing noise. <laughs> even, even if it's not a hush plug, even if it's, you know, a plain old butt plug. That's you know, probably safer. That's probably less, you know, less, less noise, you know, attracting. <laughs> You know, especially if you're on a wooden chair and all of a sudden, zzz, like, whose phone is going off? <laughs> wow, that's a really loud phone. Hmm. Wow, why is he sweating? Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's for a lot of people, it is the transgressive nature. You know, public is meant to be, you know, kind of sanitized in a lot of ways. Uh, I think about... A lot of people who hate pride parades hate the idea that there are people 
that wear bondage gear or fetish gear in public. You know, well, there are children that are there, and this is despicable. I mean, you know, part of Pride is meant to be like a celebration of all of these sorts of things. You know, if you look at the history of Pride parades, you know, we can go all the way back to, to Stonewall, really, where it was a celebration of, hey, like... They they tried to fuck us up and we fucked them back and like now we're just going to march in public because they can't do anything because the last time they tried we ended up rioting for an entire week and like it was not a good time for anybody you know pride parades really do come from a time place where if men were caught wearing more than I believe two or three articles of clothing that were not meant for men that they could be arrested. Drag queens, transgendered individuals would oftentimes have their faces dunked in mop buckets to wash all the makeup off of them. Like it was a very dirty, grimy time. And so that level of exhibitionism, that level of public, we'll say fetish indulgement comes from the idea that we're here, we're queer, get the fuck over it. And guess what? Sometimes we like to wear leather. So fuck you. See, my thing with that, and it's related to this concept, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about, and it gets back to the idea of it being a secret kink. Remember how I talked about Metrico, like the, the thongs or the, you know, wearing the, the flip-flops mm-hmm. and the taking pictures of the feet, that it's mostly theater of the mind. The, the thing that makes it sexual is the fact that it's sexual in both of your minds, and that you're engaging that to play together. Right. If you really think about it, wearing kink and fetish gear in public is the exact same thing. There's nothing inherently sexual about wearing leather straps on your body or wearing a leather master's cap, right? Like, mm. those things are not... I mean, it's clothing. It's just weird clothing, but it's essentially just clothing. It's like wearing a belt. Yeah. No one says, oh my god, you're wearing a leather belt today? God, you kinky fuck. <laughs> What's wrong with you? There are children present. How dare you wear a belt? Everyone knows God's thing is suspenders. Like, what the hell's wrong with you, heathen? <laughs> Um, no one gets upset about belts, right? So, like, it's just a bunch of belts. So, if, if you're really worked up about people wearing fetish gear in public, like, what you're worked up about is the fact that you have a theater in the, of the mind going about those belts and the, how that, what that means for you. And that meaning for you is inherently and deeply sexual. But for a kid wandering by, they don't have that kinky theater of the mind going. They don't have any meaning to assign to those objects. They just see some weird-looking clothes. And they might say, hey, mommy, that man's funny-looking. And mommy would be like, yeah, that man's real funny looking. Stay away from that man. And then you guys keep walking, and it's your everyone's everyone's day is fine, right? Like it's not a big deal. No one is being traumatized by that, right? Yeah. So the thing is, don't project onto a child the kinky sexual thoughts you have, because number one, that's kind of weird and fucked up. But if you think about it, but number two, yeah. like, <laughs> but number two, like you know, it's just you only it's only kinky and sexual if you make it so. If you now granted, if those leather men then like whip out their dicks and start like frotting in public, then yes, that's not cool. Don't do that in front of children. What the fuck? But that's very different, right? That's not the same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of think of you know the controversy you know at at fur conventions where people are sometimes barred from wearing you know BDSM gear, you know leather harnesses or or even like pop play gear. No you know, uh, pop hoods or anything of that nature, because... And I, I will point this out, and that we've, remember we had our show with Pup Powder where we talked about pups and hounds. We asked a real-life pup, is this play inherently or always sexual? And we got a resounding no. For many people, it is not sexual at all. And, yeah. if, and Or if it is sexual, it's a sexual minority of the time, right? Similar to how fursuits are. Might sexual 
maybe, but minor- minority of the time, even if so, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm reminded of, you know, uh, a picture that I saw of uh, a series of individual of, of uh, people dressed up in full, you know, kit for for pony play. And they're they're pulling, you know, wagons, you know, kind of like rickshaws. And I guess you would call them carriages in this case because they're ponies. And people are like, wow, that's so weird. Wow, they should take their fetish inside. And I'm just like, is it really hurting anybody to have a whole bunch of people, you know, dress, you know, in full pony gear, you know, pull like, no, that isn't hurting anybody. If anything, that's kind of mystical. Like if a child were to see, they're like, wow, that's weird, but also kind of cool. Like, (laughs) wow. Like you wouldn't think anything, you know, twice about it. You know, it's, it's, it's just something that people do now. I mean, obviously, yes, there, there is definitely a difference and I can take, I can see the argument. There are some events that do often have, you know, that do get a little bit wild and extreme. Uh, some pride parades where you do have men that do, you know, end up getting naked. And this especially happens like in the nineties, um, where during the parade, people will be on balconies jerking off, you know, things of that nature. That maybe is not necessarily super appropriate. Uh, I think about Burning Man a little bit, actually. Uh, when I went, during the day, it's meant to be super child-friendly. Like, yeah, bring your kids. Like, have your kids out. When the sun goes down, your kids should go to sleep because it is going to be wild and crazy. There will be drugs. There will be people naked. You might see somebody fucking. You know, I think it is important that we have that delineation at certain events that, that do have those elements at play for a lot of people. It isn't the idea that we're a burning man. We're going to have sex. I'm turned on because I'm at burning man and I'm having sex. It's the idea of, you know, I want to have sex and I'm at burning man. So, <laughs> eh. sure. but I mean, you know, you do always risk whenever you, you have sex in public of, of, you know, public indecency laws, Absolutely. Uh, and that legality is one of the major concerns with any of this, right? There's a there's two major concerns, I would say. The the legality, which is the fact that indecency and obscenity are coming laws might come into play. Uh, and also the fact that it's really not cool to expose people to sex sexual play that they didn't sign up for if it's something that they're going to be made aware of, right? Yeah. I mean some people even go as far to say as you shouldn't have any kind of public displays of affection, like you should keep your kiss, like you should keep a Bible in between you when you're dancing. You should, you know, the most you should do is hold hands, but only for a little while. And if you kiss, there better not be tongue. You know, some people are very against public displays of affection. And I don't, I don't necessarily see the harm in that. No, I don't either. Um, you know, cause listen, people are going to be in love and people are going to want to make out. And if they make out at a club, you should be like, oh my God, you guys get a room. You fucking skanks. Well, my opinion is love is something to celebrate, not something to shame. But that's, you know, personal view. <laughs> now, you know, there might be some people that have kinks or fetishes that, you know, maybe wouldn't fall into obscenity laws. Again, we'll go back to the idea of, you know, a foot fetishist. You know, you're probably not going to get busted for for any kind of indecency or obscenity for, you know, oh, baby, we're going to sit on this bench and I'm going to give you a foot massage and I'm going to kiss your feet. You know, people will be like, wow, that's kind of weird and kind of creepy. And the cops might be like, uh, could you maybe not? But it's very difficult to prove, you know, any kind of indecency is happening. 
So some people kind of look at that as, you know, being kosher because no laws are being broken. Again, best rule of thumb, don't involve unwilling, unknowing participants into your sex play. Everybody should be on board. Now, there's a again, fine line here, right? Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's an example of this, for example, which is the foot fetishist who works as a shoe salesman, right? It's a pretty famous example of like, where do you draw the line? Because let's say you're a foot fetishist and you're putting feet, shoes onto sexy feet, uh, putting shoes on and off those sexy feet all day. Yeah. And when you get home, you're like jerking off seriously and thinking of all the sexy feet you touched. You're just performing the duties of your job. The behavior hasn't changed. You're not actually doing anything lewd with the women or like noticeably having an erection or like, you know, neck breathing and or like doing anything like really strange. You're just doing your job, but it just so happens you're getting a secret thrill out of it. And when you go home, you're jerking off furiously, right? Yeah. My personal view is I don't think that's objectionable or there's anything wrong with that because, yes, the person's being involved involuntarily, but nothing sexual is happening at the time. Nothing inherently sexual is happening at the time, right? The sexual stuff is happening totally separately as masturbation when the person's alone. And the person who was being enjoyed sexually didn't really have any participation in that aspect of it. They didn't participate in the arousal, weren't made aware of the arousal, weren't made to feel uncomfortable, not, no advances were made, nothing of that, mm -hmm. of that nature. Everything that they did was consensual. They, they, they knew this shoe was going to go on their foot. They knew the shoe was going to come off their foot. They signed up for that. It was fine, right? To me, I think that's okay. I know some people will disagree with me and say that's not okay. But to me, that's no different than if I pass a really sexy bo like boy when I'm like walking on the street and like get an erection or something. Like, he didn't consent to my erection. Like, you know? But I got aroused by that. And then maybe I go and jerk off thinking about him later. Like, he didn't consent to that either. But no one, like, I guess you could be like, oh, man, it's totally wrong to do that without his consent. But, like, come on, man. It's not harming anybody. That's silly. Like, I do draw the line. That just seems silly to me. So I think it's okay. But you can feel free to disagree with me. I think that's, I think that's morally acceptable to do, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think of anybody that be like, oh, that poor guy. Oh, why are you objectifying that jogger, that you know, surfer or whatever. Like, I feel that everybody is, I don't want to use the word guilty, but everybody does that to some extent. You know, you see somebody that's really attractive, you know, it might get the juices flowing, it might get the dick a little hard. You know, I, I don't see any harm in that because they're not being injured. It's not, you know, I, I draw the line where you start like taking candid pictures and you start amassing a you know, secret shrine in your closet to, you know, male jogger number, you know, 32. He looks like he might work, you know, on Wall Street. Well, sure. Know. That's stalking, though. That's a different thing. <laughs> See, that, that, that's stalking. <laughs> totally different thing. <laughs> true, true, true. But I mean, you know, it's, it's as long as it doesn't interfere with somebody's life without their permission, you should be fine. You know, it would be like being a lifeguard that gets off on the idea of lycra. You know, it's it's as long as you're not letting kids drown in the wave pool, you're pretty much in the clear. Or you petting know. the kids through their lycra. <laughs> that is not good. Please, please, <laughs> no. Don't do that either. <laughs> don't fuck the baby. Please don't. Or the frog, if there's a yeah. frog in the pool. <laughs> Get out of the, the pool, because the chlorine's probably not good for the frog, for one. But number two, <laughs> don't fuck the frog. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Or the baby. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a Book of Mormon reference, everyone. Go out and see Book of Mormon. It's hilarious. It's touring in a city near you. No. <laughs> That's not a, we're, That's not a paid consideration, by the way. Yeah. Lord knows the amount of times that I've railed on the South Park people for being <laughs> shitty. But Book of Mormon's pretty good, so it's okay. But, you know... I guess it all boils down to the idea that as long as it's not something that's, you know, totally exposing, like, you know, in New York City, we there's a difference between public nudity and public indecency. You are fine to be basically naked in public here. The difference comes into play when it is clear that that nudity is of a sexual nature. Um, there are lots of uh, joggers in my area that go around, you know, wearing the bare minimum. Um, oftentimes, a lot of female joggers are topless. And to them, it's not necessarily a statement of, you know, look at, you know, look at my bosoms, motherhood, you know, men can go topless, I can go topless. For for a lot of them, it's more, this is actually much more comfortable. Like, I, it's hot outside. You know, wearing clothes like, you know, a sports bra, is it, it's not comfortable, so I'm just going to run topless. And, you know, some people, you know, view that as like, wow, that's really gross. What if a child sees that? I'm just like, I, I mean. child probably has seen it if yeah. they ever breastfed. Or, I mean, like, like, oh, no, like, whenever you give your kid a bath, do you, like, put a blindfold on them so they don't see their own nudity? Like, what's going on there? Right. Like, listen, at the, at the end of the day, like, people are going to notice, you know, sex differences. People are going to notice, you know, the fact that there are, you know, differences between boys and girls. And it's not as if, you know... The, the fine line there really is, are they boning in front of your kid or is it just like, oh, no, look, a topless woman. Oh, no. Like it again goes back to the idea that a lot of cultures are really based in this weird, you know, sex shamey sort of culture. And it's unfortunate. You know? The only problem, I, like the thing is, like I could be down for that because I do understand the difference that, you know, actual sexual activity it based in how Western society is constructed is going to be not something we can just say is fine to do in public. I mean, personally, I think I'm kind of post shame to the point where I would be, I'm down for that, but for sanitary reasons and other reasons, it's not a great idea. Right. Even if mentally, I think living in a, a Zausch comic or whatever would be, would be, would be fun. I don't really think everyone going around bottoms would have to be all that sanitary. So we should probably not do that. But that being said, I think it's important to keep in mind that, there's a problem with the whole idea of, oh, it's okay if it's not sexual for guys, I think, because of the whole erection issue, right? Because, like, a guy can develop an erection involuntarily just because he is stimulated by a thought or the wind or yeah. <laughs> whatever. And so, like, you're kind of – I feel like that those laws set a really unfair trap for especially gay men because when a gay man happens to get a boner and a 13-year-old boy happens to be within 30 feet of him, like – you're asked is asking for trouble there, right? Like there's just, I, that is not a good recipe for not because the, by the way, what I mean is I'm not, I don't mean to say the gay man's going to do something with a 13 year old. What I'm talking about is the gay man is going to be accused of being aroused by a 13 year old boy being around him. And that's going to raise a whole lot of uncomfortable, maybe perhaps legal issues for that man. If he's, you know, calls the police, right. And he could say, well, I'm sorry. I was just nude because it's okay to be nude. And I happened to think about my wife and I, sorry, it happened and whoops. I mean, 
And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they'll believe that story, but maybe they won't. And that's the problem, right? Because there's just still a lot of homophobia and especially pedophilic homophobia. That sort of situation is a real issue. Uh, if you're going to make, if you're going to draw the line that you can't be sexual in public, because arguably, well, is it, is getting an erection sexual? I think to me, the problem is I feel like those laws probably are going to capture that erection as being sexual. I think that law might be okay if you define sexual to be like sexual contact and not like, oh my gosh, he's got a boner, right? Because that's kind of like masturbating. Yes, that's a problem probably, but like has a boner. I don't know if that's. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that should not be that should not be where we draw the line, right? But it probably is. It probably is where the drop line is drawn. I'm saying it probably shouldn't be. I feel like it comes down to you know the obscenity laws of like, you know, I, I don't know how to define porn, but I'll know it when I see it. You know, it's it's quite frankly, I tend to err on the side of caution, um, especially so. This one time, I, I mentioned earlier that there was a park that was known for cruising where I grew up, and that's really where. You know, a lot of my first, you know, sexual partners kind of came into play. And there's this, so it was actually a pretty swank park. The only issue was that it was across the road from a military base. And it was like, there was this really cool tower, a wooden tower that was built. And you can go up to the top and you can kind of see all the trees. And, you know, it was really nice. Um, and definitely there was this one time that I was on top of the tower with another dude and things are getting a little bit hot and heavy and two military helicopters hovered over and told us to stop. So, you know, (laughs) the, the, you know, listen, I'm just going to say, you know, it's kind of a silly story. I was, you know, 16 at the time. Um, Many problems could have happened. Luckily, we were just like, okay, you know, <laughs> uh-oh, gotta go. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's if we think about, like, sex and public, you know, public places, there are actually, you know, you mentioned a lot of, like, hygienic issues. There are a lot of hygienic issues when it comes to sex. You know, a lot of people are like, sex on the beach sounds awesome. It's really not. It's really the opposite of awesome. Um, <laughs> that it's just gets everywhere. Really, it does. Um, like, wear a condom. Don't wear a condom. Your dick is just going to be a sandcastle. Like, don't don't even try eating anything. Like, don't eat ass. Don't eat pussy. Like, you're just going to get grit in your mouth, and there's nothing you can do about it. Everything tastes of salt and sweat and sand. It's gross. It's disgusting. Not to mention, you're probably they're probably covered in like sun sun lotion so you're probably going to be tasting all of the bitterness of the lo- lovely sunblock that your partner's wearing and that's not ugh. it's just not great not great i was uh, listening to pen Jalot from you know pen and teller the magicians telling a story about how he wanted to have sex scuba diving and how the issue became lubricating um his partner's um like vagina because he would like get in and it would just be like sandpaper because it's just salt water and like how it was just he's like the fantasy of it turned me on but the actual execution just no (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think that story was like from his you know wild escapades in the 80s or so and you know to get get a house on the beach with a deck and then fuck on the deck don't go in the sand or get a really really big beach towel 
Like, mm. really just freaking gigantic. Even then... Cover the e- globe with that beach towel. <laughs> e- even then, you're you're still going to get sand. Trust me, I don't know how. Hey, I'm talking about minimizing in case somebody... This might be somebody's really biggest kink. Like, you know, you, you know that, might, that somebody who's listening, statistically speaking, probably has a gigantic fetish for, like, sand sex. And they probably, like, want to build that sand castle and, like, big... To, make a gigantic moat to protect their damsel and then just like power fuck them on the beach and you just are crushing their dream. So I'm saying if you must do this, get a big towel. <laughs> um, and just be prepared. Um, uh, that's, that's all I'm going to say. Like it's, um, you know, the, the, the best of intentions, you know, just, just, you know, have fun with it, but be prepared for sand. Uh, the same is true of like, if you're going to go into the mountains and you're going to get, you know, hot and nasty, um, you know, there are a lot of things you have to worry about. You know, people don't like to talk about bugs. Bugs exist outside. Mosquitoes, ticks, that sort of thing. You got to kind of watch for that sort of fun because, you know, while you're getting hot and heavy, you may not notice that something's latched onto you. So, you know, just just be mindful of that. You know, you don't got to just worry about kids and policemen you know, seeing you get dirty, you also kind of got to worry about, you know, the fact that, hey, like, there's an entire, like, world of nature. You could be boning in the woods and a bear comes by and it's just like, well, we're kind of fucked, both literally and metaphorically. Um, So, you know, practice common sense if you're going to go about doing this. Make sure that you're not fucking in the middle of like bear migration zone during bear migration period. Make sure you're not doing, you know, if you're going to have sex in a tree, maybe don't because that's really unsafe. Like unless you're in like a tree fort, in which case that's kind of cool and kind of hot and have fun with it. But, you know, watch out for poison ivy and poison oak, you know, things of that nature, actually, like that actually can be a major problem. Like don't just, you know, Remember, leaves of three, let them be. You know, and honestly, the other thing too, if you're going to be sexual, like in the forest, like in public land or anything like that, where there's a chance of running into other people, you do owe it to the other people to not be super loud or to uh, do it in a place where you, you could be seen from the, from a public path. Because again, you don't want to be exposing minors to sexual activity that they didn't sign up for or did sign up for, or that sounded weird. No, they, you, you, I'm just going to retract the last 20 seconds. What I meant to say <laughs> was whether they want to be there or not to hear you moan and, and scream with your partner, they shouldn't be there to hear you do that because they're minors. So don't do it. Did you get your parents to sign the permission slip? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like a, uh, it, it might work. In, I feel like that's a very progressive thing that, that might happen in the Netherlands. Like you get your like, you go on your like safari to watch people fuck in the woods. That sounds good. That sounds like that sounds very Dutch to me for some reason. David Attenborough is like narrating, like behold. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I think a sex, I think a sex safari would be really fun. I, I'm not sure if I want to be one of the visitors or one of the participants or like one of the like exhibits, though. I feel like now you I know, might want to have to try both. They're, to be honest, they're you know, and like not to get like super duper. Now, that would be really fun. You'd have to make sure that, like, everything is good so it doesn't harken back to, like, the 1910, you know, and earlier, you know, periods of, like, human zoos. Because that was a really bad time. Yeah. We, we we don't want to, like, do that to people. Because, like, there was definitely, um, there were definitely 
people that were basically enslaved in that for their sexual characteristics. Like, look at the wild Nefertiti woman, her butts, like, look at her vagina. And like, it was really kind of creepy. So maybe well, that's we... totally fair. Yeah. But so I maybe... think if you have to be consensual enslavement, right? Like that has to be, yeah, maybe but like the thing is mm-hmm. maybe one way audio too. Cause like, it's probably like YouTube. You don't want to read the comments, right? So like, <laughs> don't, if you're in the exhibits, you don't want to have like the, the visitors come by and they're like, you know, Land Rover or whatever the fuck. And like, just like, yo man, your dick's small. Like that, that really kills the mood. You know, I don't want that. I mean, some people might want that. Maybe, maybe there could be like a humiliation and non-humiliation section of the zoo, like you this. Know, have, have you ever seen a Monty Python's Meaning of Life? There's an entire section, you know, on you know having sex like in front of a classroom. You know, maybe it could be like that. Maybe it could be like actual sex. <laughs> oh man, that's one of my kinks, metric. I've I've read that versions of that story on Nifty and pawed off to that like a million times. <laughs> That might be uh, way too much information for all of you podcast listeners, but yeah, I've totally jacked it to that fantasy a lot. There you go. You know, it's, it's, I don't think that we, at least in America have, have come to that progressive point to, I mean, my, my version of sex ed was definitely like a, a film on real from the seventies that was just awful and it like grainy you couldn't see anything and it was all cartoons like you might notice that there will be some differences between and i'm like uh i'm 17 like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you don't think that like you might start and it's like i had puberty when i was like 11 and 12 like don't we're way beyond we're we're five years too late (sighs) I, I got busted by a military helicopter having sex in a park. I think I'm good. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 really funny to me, the, you know, the whole you know, sex you know, education within America. But, you know, we're, we're digressing. Well, that's, why we, that's why we decided to make a podcast, because we realized, you know what? A lot of furries, unfortunately, don't have a lot of sexual education, and they most of them pick it up through trial and error. And error, when you're talking about sex, can be very bad. So that's kind of why we, we try to help you out there. <laughs> especially when there are issues of legality. Yes, and, and know, issues of lifelong like alterations to your life, like pregnancies yeah. and STIs. You know, so. one of the you know, especially within gay culture, yeah, I mean, you hear of like bathhouses, you know, and and people going to bathhouses to have sex. And, and I'm just gonna kind of say, you know. If you're going to engage in, you know, bathhouse play, or, or maybe you're going to a swinger bar, which I've never actually seen a bar that has a swinger. Like there, there's so many like high, like you you can't serve food in that kind of a place, like legally speaking. <laughs> it's but, a se- it's definitely a separate. <laughs> we have a cafe area, but then <laughs> the cafe area is a please. Put on one of these robes, is, right? Is there, like, is there, is there like a Starbucks, <laughs> like an adjacent Starbucks? Actually, I think the Center for Sex Positive Culture does something very similar to that arrangement. Not to knock it, right. like at all. But here yeah. locally in Seattle, we literally have one of those, which is kind of awesome. But yeah, the Center for Sex Positive Culture probably does that. Yeah, but like you, you won't like go to, into like a bar and people are just fucking over like tables. Like no, 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 no it's not that. That's not quite sorry to dispel that myth, and sorry to all the people that write the 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 sex stories where things like that happen. It 
hasn't really, I mean, it might happen, but not, not sanctions, like unsanctioned, you know, but when Indeed. we talk about like membership sex clubs, you know, things that you have to buy into, you know, again, bathhouses, swingers clubs, you know, um, and in some cases like BDSM sort of clubs, dungeons, that sort of thing where, where there are play spaces, rentable yeah, play spaces, anything of that nature where you are in public and you are engaging in some kind of sex play, whether it is, you know, penetrative or not, you know, that that's entirely different because people might not have heard of these. So like, maybe I'll just describe a little bit of what this is just so people are aware. Cause not everyone knows what we're talking about. Like what the hell's a bathhouse? Like is that it? Like they think of like, the, like literally like a Roman like bathhouse where it's like a bunch of patricians in like their togas like lounging around discussing like oh yeah we're Carth- conquered Carthage finally cool salt the earth but like that's not quite what we're we're going so, on about when we talk about like bathhouses you know these these are definitely like a product of like the late fifties and early sixties and they still exist um, and again they're not like. Roman bathhouses, they're not like Japanese spas or hot springs. They're Yeah. I'm totally, for example, I'm totally a member of one because it's fun and it's just I'm a person who runs a sex podcast. Why wouldn't I be, right? But like yeah. So there's one here in Seattle called Steamworks. Mm-hmm. I think they're actually a chain. There's some yes. other elsewhere too. Again, not a paid consideration. I just happened to join this one because it's close and convenient. But uh they have spaces like sh- public showers, locker room areas places where you can watch pornography, private rooms you can rent with little cots and beds for obvious purposes in them, um, like kind of throbbing, low, like, like electronic music and like dark red light. And like, it's very, it's a very sexual, very seedy and intentionally seedy, like place. And it's where guys <laughs> will go to cruise and meet up and, you know, maybe ogle each other maybe they play a bit whatever you know maybe lead somebody back to one of the private rooms it's a very sexual space it's obviously a very homosexual space a homoerotic space and it's taking a lot of things from other contexts like shower rooms uh you know locker rooms places that men tend to fantasize about as places they like to have sex in but obviously you can't go to a normal locker room or a normal shower to fuck i mean legally speaking so these are places where you can do that. Uh, a lot of people think that they're places where men go just to have anonymous sex that's super unsafe. Uh, that may have been the case like 20 years ago, but and probably still the case. But uh, these days, uh, it's very much something that people are aware of, the idea of sexual health. So like, they often will hand out condoms and lube to you as you come in the door. Like, hey, if you need this, use this. Don't like forget to be safe, whatnot. And also... It's worth noting that a lot of people just go there to look or to socialize or to be naked with other men. And maybe they jerk off or maybe they show off or maybe they do very low-key safe sexual play with other men, like touching touching each other, uh, masturbating each other. But it never progresses to anything unsafe. That's very, very common. I'd say a solid 90% of the play that happens at one of these in one of these spaces is 100% or 99.99% safe, like mutual masturbation, pawing each other off type stuff, which is totally... F- I mean, hey, it's fun to do that sometimes. But um, so that happens. Some actual like hardcore sex does happen and some of it's bare. And yeah, that that can squick people because that's probably not a very safe or good life choice to be making. But I don't really judge someone for that. It's their love, their body and their life to do what they like. It's probably just not in their best interest to do. But 
I mean, I can't really make them do something else. I'm not their keeper. So that's that stuff happens there. But the other thing too is like, I go there. I don't. I don't go there looking for anonymous sex. I just go there because I think the experience is kind of cool. Um, and it's I'm a gay deep person, and it's a fun experience. But I also, if I went there, I'd probably bring a partner with me to do things with, and that can be fun. So there's also the exhibitionist aspect where I can bring a partner who I, I would normally fuck at home, but I bring them with me to fuck in a public space like a, a bathhouse. So what will other got men watch and jerk off because I like being an exhibitionist and I'm a kinky fuck. So there, there's that aspect of it. But that's that's the bathhouse idea. So now you know what that is. You know, actually, I kind of want to give a little bit more information because, you know, there is a wonderful history of bathhouses, you know. Sure, you can give the history. I just gave the, the practicality of it. I mean, there's a little bit more than that. So bathhouses, you know, beyond, you know, the idea of, you know, public sex, they're, you know, they, they existed as kind of a meeting place, a safe meeting place for a lot of, you know, men, especially during the 60s and 70s, who didn't have, you know, safe spaces, who couldn't have these clubs, um, you know, especially in New York, you would have a lot of performers that would come and perform poolside. I mean, it, it was kind of like a standard gym that also had bunk beds you could fuck on. You know, that that's really kind of how I describe it. You know, they, they prescribe, you know, safe sex standards in, in bathhouses. And bathhouses were really a hub of safe sex, you know, understanding during time periods where safe sex wasn't really that well understood, especially during the, you know, outbreak of AIDS. You know, many of them would, you know, hand out condoms, they would, have, you know, vend lube, they would have, you know, public showers that would have, you know, shampoo that would kill pubic lice, you know, things of that nature. STI clinics would, would be, you know, at these locations and these would be safe places and they would bring in performers. And and you've, you've probably heard of a lot of the people that have performed and, and you know, bathhouses. Uh, Bette Midler is probably the most famous. I mean, she used to be known as Bathhouse Betty. And and she really got her rise to fame from performing at bathhouses, um, specifically the Ansonia, which was here in New York City. You, you, she developed a lot of her persona there. You have Barry Manilow that used to perform in bathhouses. Uh, Ema Sumak, the Pointer Sisters, Mimi Hines, Tally Brown, all of these people that everybody really kind of knows very well. Gloria Gaynor. Leslie Gore performed in bathhouses. And these were venues where they could connect to their gay audience. And they'd be like, yeah, they're totally gay. I mean, Barry Manilow used to perform wearing just a towel. You know, it was a place for them to enjoy themselves and unwind and relax. Does sex happen at bathhouses? Yeah, absolutely it does. But it's not meant necessarily to be a super duper, like, sexy, fun place. It's just a place where people can meet up, can enjoy themselves, can relax, can unwind. And does sex happen? Yeah, absolutely. Do people go there to cruise and have sex? Yes, absolutely. But I think it also it depends. There's kind of like for some of the more modern bathhouses, like the one that I mentioned, are kind of more the community aspect is downplayed more and the sexual aspect is played up more. And, and I think there are different styles of bathhouse. Some that are more standard gyms where sex also just happens to happen. And some where it's like, this is a sexual space. So you can kind of your mileage might vary, and you should might, you actually might want to check in, like, hey, like, what is the vibe at this place, like, you know, and you can ask questions when you're like checking out, kicking the tires, if you're thinking of joining a club, because there often is a membership. Ask for like, hey, can I do a free day? Yes. Hey, can I get a tour? 
don't just like, oh, this sounds like exactly what I was looking for. And then you join, it's like, oh, why are there just a bunch of old men in towels reading the newspaper? This is not what I was going for. <laughs> so again, with anything, you want to check it out and understand what it means for that specific place. Every kind of bathhouse, every kind of swinger club, every kind of play space is going to have their own individual rules and policies. So it's important to not run afoul of those. Some bathhouses, uh, for example, you have to rent a locker and you can't wear any clothing while in the bathhouse. And for some people, that may not be comfortable for you. You kind of roaming around in a bathrobe or a towel, but that's just the way that the club works. And it's important to note, and this is kind of going to be my last point on bathhouses. One of the big you know, things that you have to focus on is sex positivity and etiquette, especially if you are in a place that focuses on sex. You cannot go in there being sex shaming, being body shaming, doing anything of that nature. If you don't want to have sex with somebody because they don't physically, you, you don't find them attractive, you don't have to be like, uh, no, fat, go kill yourself. You don't have to do be mean. You don't have to treat it like grinder. Be like, uh, excuse me, I believe that my grinder profile says no rice, no spice, and no chocolate. That does not work in person. Nope. <laughs> you just say, no, thank you. And if somebody is really pushy and they're like, no, nah, we're going to have sex, then you get an attendant and they kick them out. Yeah, you, you that's don't... a great way to get banned from the club yeah. forever. You know, bathhouses are, are great places to, you know, sex bathhouses. <laughs> Sexual-based bathhouses are a great, you know, location for gay men especially. But there are heterosexual bathhouses um, that do exist, and you can find them. But these are great places if you're wanting to engage in some form of, like, public sexuality, public displays of sex in a, in a place that is, you know, contained and, and considered to be safe. That being said... You still have to keep your head about you when it comes to, you know, STI discussions. If you're going to have sex with somebody, it is still, you know, the onus is on everybody to kind of have that discussion. Are you negative? Are you positive? Have you had a recent test? Well, you know, anything that I need to know about. If you don't have these discussions, it's, it's clear that you don't necessarily care about them. So it is important that... Before anything hot and heavy happens, you have that discussion. You know, if they don't volunteer that information, then you can make that judgment. If you say like, so what's your state? Do you know your status? What was, when was your last test? If they're like, eh, don't worry about it. That is your judgment call there. The other thing I will point out is I think, you know, bathhouses have a lot of stigmas because they're thought of as being like STI havens, but just as a space that you can use, I know a lot of guys who are like, oh, you know, I live with my parents, you live with your parents, like, where are we going to do this? Uh, it can actually be a really great outlet for people who don't have play spaces of their own. And you can use it not necessarily to get off on anyone watching you or any of that stuff, but you can just get a private room and it can be your place to go and play. Like, yeah, that's actually a totally valid thing to do. A lot of them are open 24 hours. So you can kind of just like, oh, well, you know, the whole the host or travel issue, if you're ever having that issue, it's like, well... Neither of us can host, but we can both travel. Why don't we both travel to the bathhouse where it's safe because, or safer because there's attendance and we can check in and we know that the door at least has our identity. So if we do anything not cool, somebody's validating who we actually are, even if I don't see your name. So even if you're having like anonymous-ish sex from Grinder, doing it like in a bathhouse is kind of a little bit safer than bringing someone as a total stranger into your home. So I, I'm not suggesting go have anonymous sex on Grinder at bathhouses. What I am saying is, if you are the type of person who is already having anonymous sex, consider having it at a bathhouse 
you know, where it's at least someone's validating identity rather than at your home where someone can potentially rape you, beat you up, steal from you and leave. You know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. the best situation for a stranger to be in your home. But yeah. again, I'm not shaming anybody for what your behaviors are. I'm just saying I encourage safety. So when you can make an unsafe behavior mildly safer, I'm going to say mildly safer is better. Yeah. So, you know, just, just keep your wits about you. Keep, you know, bathhouses, other swinger bars. They're, they're great places to actually meet a good community of people. If you're, if you're looking for, you know, a place within your community, let's say that you're interested in BDSM or pup play or pony play, or, you know, any, any kind, if you're looking to connect to a gay community, perhaps, and you can't find a gay community center, but you find a bathhouse, chances are, if you go to the bathhouse, you don't have to engage in sex, but you can still find out information about the gay community in your area. You can find ways to get involved, find way, you know, beyond, you know, putting a dick in your mouth. So, I mean, you know, these kinds of places, they're good if you want, again, to have that, you know, oh my God, people can watch us have sex and they can't join in. Or if they want to join in, we'll tell them no, but people can watch us and we might get caught. Oh no, we're going to totally do it in this dark corner and people will walk by and see us and, oh no, they're going to know that we're fucking, oh no, is that guy watching? Oh no, you know, things like that where people are going to be able to get kind of turned on. People are going to be able to, you know, kind of enjoy themselves and you can enjoy yourself knowing that other people are enjoying the, you know, it's, it's transgressive and it's fun, but in places like that, it is safer, and you have the ability to kind of have backup, you know, attendance, owners, security, whatever it might be to kind of tell people no means no, because Let's be honest, one of the issues about sex in public places is that you're kind of on your own. This is, you know, an issue that people, you know, especially prostitutes that that get robbed or injured in some way, they can't necessarily go to the police because it's difficult to say things like, yeah, my John just robbed me. Like, it's like, yeah, the police aren't going to really care. They'd be like, oh, you're a prostitute, huh? Hmm. So, you know. Just be mindful of, you know, the legality. Be mindful of the alternatives, the safer legal alternatives that you have. And and just understand that if you are going to engage in private sex play, you know, and in public, you know, again, the idea of we're both going to wear thongs, I'm going to wear my jock strap, I'm going to wear, you know, a butt plug, whatever that might be. Just make sure that you don't involve unwillingly involve other people into your sex practices because when that happens you cross a bridge that you may not be able to come back from right yep and another example of this would be something like chastity which we didn't mention before but like wearing oh. a chastity cage in public is another very common example especially in furry i feel like a lot of people do that and don't even think about it as being public sex play but it totally is yeah. so i mean it's fine if you're doing that but just it is, it's in the category so yeah there you go so, I mean, you know, just don't force your kinks or fetishes on other people and enjoy yourself. Find safe alternatives. Or if you can't find a safe alternative, go about it as safely as possible. Safer alternatives are always better than unsafe alternatives, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why we say safer sex. It's not safe sex. We're just talking about risk mitigation. That's all. Yeah. So, you know, have that discussion with your partner. Have that discussion with yourself if you need to. You know, maybe look at a mirror, talk to yourself about, you know, what risks you're willing to undertake, what you're, 
you know, well, what, what you consider to be safer and make sure that everybody's on board before you go about it. Because again, I'm just going to say you get busted having sex, you know, in front of school children, you're going to have a very bad time. Well, in some cases, it's just being caught naked in public can get you on the sex offender registry, which is kind of a life ruiner by itself, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's really not good. So just keep that in mind. Like, we can't emphasize that point enough. Like, if you're going to do this, you are taking a huge risk, so make sure you're minimizing that, the hell out of that risk, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I think we're going to leave it at that because, you know, that's that's pretty much all that can be said. If you have questions, if you have suggestions, if you think we missed talking about something, please let us know. We'll include it in next week's feedback. We'll talk about it a little bit more. You know, um, just just don't be me. Don't get caught by a military helicopter. That's all I'm saying. But do listen, do listen to the Jonathan Colton song about uh, the 1st of May because it happens to be May. So... It, outdoor fucking starts on the 1st of May. So we, we, we got it in, in in the right month, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on to this week's question. Um, we have a listener question, and they wrote us an email with the subject line, the classic, what does that fur look like in real life conundrum? Hey guys, so I've had this problem a few times with online dating or socializing, particularly in furry since we hide our appearance behind a character. When I'm getting to know a fur online, as per the usual, it'll start out mild. At this point, I can understand that I should maybe ask or already know what they look like before deciding if I'm attracted to them and to proceed to flirting. Sometimes flirting just happens, because that's a ton of fun and irresistible, especially if the individual is on your level of humor, etc. As I'm sure you guys know, uh, but how should we ask about physical appearance in this fandom without being rude, since simply asking may imply if you're ugly I don't want to talk to you, or alternatively, if you're hot all I want to do is use you. I'd like to be real here, I'm not a materialistic bigot. It's important to learn to love a potential partner who may not check all the boxes for you physically, but at the same time checking none of the boxes changes things a lot, to put it politely. I think a lot of us can agree that a level of physical attraction, no matter your taste, is very important for proceeding into a relationship. So how do we go about obtaining this information, as well as sharing it about ourselves since this problem goes both ways, uh, to, help make, you know, to help make this decision? As always, thank you for running the show. It's always a wild ride. So I will tell you my secret trick for doing this on Telegram, which is kind of sly, but I actually changed my Telegram icon to be having a couple selfies in it occasionally, and I change it back to my furry icon. So if somebody is sly and clicks on my profile and looks at my past pictures, they will actually see selfies of me, so they can actually check to see what I look like without having to ask. And it's also a way for me to advertise what I look like without having to be really like, hey, this is my face. Because I do think it's kind of nice for people to just kind of know what I look like, rather than having to do the whole asking thing. So. I totally am with you on this being an awkward thing in an awkward situation, and I'm with you on it because I actually avoid it myself, or try to, because and I only try to generally avoid things that I myself don't like, so I totally am with you on this. On Twitter, I also try to work against this by being a little bit of an, uh, seeming a little bit egotistical, I admit, but one of the reasons I like posting selfies on Twitter is because, again, people then know what I look like, in both in, both in suit and out of suit, and my character and me, so... They are not just appreciating me for my personality, but they also at least have a vague sense of what I look like physically. So, like, if they're going to be flirting with me, they at least know what they're in for. I think that's cool uh, and a good thing. Because I totally do agree with you 
that physical attraction is a component of attraction, and to ignore that is a little silly, at least for most people. Some people, physical attraction is not a huge component at all, and that's totally fine, but I think denying it for everyone is silly, because for a lot of people, it is a huge component of attraction, and you will not be satisfied if you don't have at least some degree of physical attraction to your partner or partners. So just speaking as a general rule, it's, it's much, you're raising the odds of the relationship not working out if there's no physical attraction going into it. I'm just saying that. It's probably you're raising the odds a little bit of it falling. Because the thing is, you don't have that that drive to be continue working to be with that person if you aren't attracted, right? The attraction is what keeps you putting up with someone, not to make it less romantic, but like it, it really does. That helps. It helps with cementing a bond. So you, it's hard to make it to the point of bond uh, formation sometimes if you don't have that initial wave of passion and lust to kind of get you there. So take that all into consideration. But otherwise, how do you actually do this when it awkwardly does have to come up? The way that I do it is usually I say like, hey, by the way, would it be cool to send a picture of your face? Like, I really enjoy talking with you and I really enjoy connecting with you, but I'd be able to connect with you a lot better if I was able to look into your eyes rather than just, you know, typing at a screen. And so that's kind of like, for me, if I'm flirting with somebody, it's kind of a romantic way of asking, but it's also kind of like a disarming way of asking, I think, because you're making it seem less creepy and more like you're just wanting to invest more in the person. And it's kind of a flattering thing to say. So I feel like most people take that pretty well. It's worked well for me in the past. So you can feel free to steal my line and be cheesy Viracali style. But otherwise, I mean, whatever, you can just be like, hey, I think it'd be, you know, would it be cool if we exchanged, you know, photos? I, I would really enjoy talking to you and I'd like to see what you look like. I don't think there's anything wrong with just being direct either. That's totally fine. It works. That works just as well. And you can just... You know, then the thing to do to be disarming is share your picture first, because then you've already made yourself vulnerable, and then the person is going to share their picture back at you more easily. It's a lot uh, harder to get a picture from somebody and a lot more awkward if you just ask them for a photo and you aren't willing to volunteer one yourself immediately. That uh, tends to not go quite as well. I remember back in the days of like AOL chat rooms when uh, there were a lot of like gay chat rooms uh, that I used to frequent and definitely lie about my age and say that I was, you know, 18 um you know the big thing was like picks str you know picks send to receive so you know people be like yeah i want to see your dick but you gotta and you want to see mine but you gotta send first and like people were like mm, no way mary because i know that you're gonna get it and then you're gonna disconnect i know how this game works you know the way that i do it is actually kind of fairly simple um Mostly because I'm not really that physically minded, if that makes sense. Um, I just send pictures of myself doing weird and wacky, crazy things like making stupid faces. Um, some people, you know, in the day of Snapchat would be like, hey, do you have a Snapchat? Let's send, you know, hey, you know, I send a lot of snaps. Do you have one? No, you should get one. They have lots of fun filters and you can like take silly little selfies. You can do it in a way where you're like... I want to like definitely get to know somebody, but at the same time, I, you know, kind of want to do it where I want to show them that there's a possibility that they can see me again. I, I just do things. I'm like, Hey, look, this is me at work and I look grumpy. Wow. My hair is a mess today. And, you know, I find that over time, you know, if you do that once or twice, people tend to be like, Oh, Hey, like I should send a picture too. And it's a little bit of an, more of an indirect way to get, you know, that kind of interaction that you're looking for. And then from there, you know, if you are physically minded and you do have certain physical qualities that you do look for, 
you know, you can make sure that you're just not attracted to a fursona. You're not just attracted to a fursuit that you actually could see yourself with that person in public without like having to like wear a mask to hide your grimace. So, you know, not again, not to make it like super duper, like everybody's physically minded, but there are definitely some people who do have physical qualities that they look for in a partner and that's them off, which is also fine. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, yeah. I totally agree with you, uh, Panda, on all of that. And I will say I've totally used the activity trick as well. Like, hey, I'm out doing this cool thing. I'm out on a hike. Here's a picture of me hiking. That works really well. Or I'll be like, oh, yeah, I met up with so-and-so to get today. Here's a picture of us together. And that also works because it's like, oh, you're also just showing me your friend. So it's kind of like, oh, and you happen to be in the picture too. So that can be a way of doing it. Um, and then again, they'll probably just take the hint and send a picture back because that tends to happen. Metric is right about that as well because he's often right. Funny story how that works out. Um, but yeah, so that that's totally a thing. Another thing is you might feel a little bit stalkerish going through social media to like find a picture of the person. But nah, it's totally fine. I do that all the time. I, I will go I will go way deep in old me and like you can scroll through this through the media tab oh. on somebody's Twitter and just scroll through their photos. You can usually oftentimes find a selfie buried in there somewhere. And that way you can avoid the whole question and you can know and five you don't years have to take it ago. off. Yeah. You at least know what they look like five years ago. Um, and that's assuming you found a picture that they posted in the last year, because of course people use pictures from five years ago for the next five years, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> uh, at least you'll have a vague sense of their, of their physiognomy at that point. So that'll help. But yeah, I totally get, I, to this is a great question. And I think it's, you know, totally something that I wouldn't even think to ask, but yeah, it's definitely something we should talk about because I'm sure a lot of people have trouble with this in the yeah. fandom for sure. It's a very fandom unique issue. Definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, again, the, the entire struggle for people is, you know, how do you, you know, make sure that you're not falling in love with a persona? How do you, you know, if you develop feelings for somebody's character, how can you be sure that you'll develop feelings for them outside of that? And, I mean, you know, part of dating, part of relationships is that vulnerability. And whenever you seek to get into a relationship with somebody, you do open yourself up to the eventuality that they may not like you physically. And it's kind of this daunting, kind of scary sort of prospect to look at. But my recommendation in this, as with most things, is, you know, lead by example. If you want some if you want somebody to send you a picture of their face or whatever it might be, you know make sure that you kind of lead the charge. Now, when it comes again to sexting, make sure that everybody's on board the train before you depart. You don't want to just be like, Hey, here's my deck. And they're like, um, not really what I know. No, not the kind of selfie we mean to just toss out there. No, no. not going for that kind of selfie. Just that one get consent for first, please. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Cause like there have definitely been people who have, and I'm not calling anybody out by name, but there have been people who have sent me risque pictures of themselves while I've been at work with Telegram open on my computer. Please don't do this. It is always right, exactly because even though I like it, I like getting dick pics, but I might be in public. I might be on a train. You know. I mean, to be fair, like I've definitely just been like, what, like there was this woman that was looking over my shoulder while I was on the train, like at my phone, and I'm just like. I, I sent out like two tweets and I'm just like, woman, look away. And like, I even looked at her and I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? And she would look away. And then as soon as I turned back to it, she would just peer over my shoulder. Um, 
I was like, I was unaware that like I signed on for this. So I definitely was like, after dark Twitter, go. And I'm just like finding the raunchiest pictures I can find. And I'm just like, thank <laughs> God I got some friends that are into fisting. And so, yeah, she didn't look after that. I'm just like, yeah, that's what you no, get for shoulder surgery. I'm their colon get punched multiple times with like two fists, like that power, like jackhammer style, like yeah. where you're seeing the butt jiggle with every every punch. Some of that good stuff. Yeah. So, you know. That, that, that'll quick an old lady. That, that's the way to do it. Yeah, and I'm just like, happy Sunday. Um, yeah, sure. Enjoy math. <laughs> <laughs> While you enjoy mass, I'll be over here enjoying ass. Um, here. But no, like, again, just lead by example. If you want to see what somebody looks like, show them what you look like. Nine times out of ten, they'll be like, oh, hey, here's a picture of me. Or you can talk about it. Like, hey, have you done anything like this? Oh, hey, do you have any pictures I'd love to see? You know, blah, 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 blah. And you can make it casual instead of being like, hey, so I really like you, but I don't know if I like like you until I see you. And I mean, again, that's a fair position to have. And the fandom, you know, you don't know what somebody looks like. You don't know really what you're kind of getting into because everybody's character is apparently seven foot tall, controls the power of fire and ice and darkness, is also a dragon, shapeshifts. You know, you want to make sure what you're getting into if you're looking for a real life relationship. When it comes to things like role play, maybe it's not so important. So just understand what it is that you're looking for and lead by example. The last point that I'll make on this too is like, don't, you do a lot of hand wringing about like, oh, is this rude? Oh, like, I don't want to, I'm worried about how I'm going to, it'll seem. I'm worried about making them, you know, think I'm being, you know, too physical or too, you know, vain or whatever. Like, Nah, stop that. You're allowed to be attracted to what you're attracted to. And if somebody tells you, oh, you're just, you know, you're just looking for a physical attraction or whatever, that means that that person is probably just feeling rejected and is insecure and is then taking it out on you. So don't listen to that stuff. You're allowed to not like somebody because they don't, they don't turn you on. And if what you're looking for is a romantic and sexual partner, you are allowed to make turning me on a qualification. Like, that's kind of basic. So... They might get butthurt about it, but at the end of the day, you're not really responsible for that. You need to be able to be attracted to who you're actually attracted to and not just, you're not obligated to give someone a relationship just because they like you. It has to be both ways. So that, that's how that works. I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your question. And I hope that, you know, you're able to kind of make some sense in your life and hopefully, you know, you can you know, be okay with the fact that if you have a physical type, it is not the end of the world. And if you don't have a physical type, that's pretty rad too. At the end of the day, we're all individuals with individual tastes and expectations, and we should probably not judge each other based off of that. It's fine to be a little bit superficial. It's not really superficiality. It's just wanting what you want. So good luck and let us know if you have any other questions. And if you, our other listeners, have feedback, if you have your own advice you know, feel free to hit us up on our, you know, website. We have a contact page where we list all of the ways you can get in touch with us from Telegram to email to anonymous message form to our telephone number. So many ways that you can get into touch with us. Um, next week, we're going to have a fun topic. So in the Northern Hemisphere, it is the turning of the seasons from spring to summer coming up very soon. And with summer, especially for students, for younger people, you know, vacations are happening. Internships are happening. And the immortal words of Greece, summer loving is about to start happening. 
How can you handle short-term relationships when you're traveling, when you're at a convention, when you're, you know, at a place for a period of time where you really click with somebody? And how can you make it to where you don't leave it feeling jilted or having lost out on something? So we're going to have fun talking about summer love and short-term relationships for people that travel, do internships, maybe go home from college for the summer. This is going to be a fun episode for you. For people that are in the Southern Hemisphere, hey, listen, winter loving is definitely a thing because, (laughs) baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, snowing with somebody, right? (laughs) Basically, the weather's always an excuse to fuck. It's funny how that works, but I guess people just like having sex. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Catholicism. Um, So... (laughs) Speaking of uh, summer loving, I may, maybe I'll be taking a few con BFs coming up. You never know with me. But I will be at Furlandia and BLFC. And we just found out that we actually have a panel approved at BLFC as well. So we'll be running our open and polyamorous furry relationships 101 panel at both Furlandia and BLFC. I've got cons back to back weekends. God help me. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, if you see me at BLFC, I might be half dead, but. I, you're still welcome to say hello. And uh, if you're one of our darling Patreon uh, patrons who has donated a high enough level to compel me to hang out with you, feel free to exercise your non-kinky, non-BDSM ability to compel me to show up and spend time with you. So there you go. So for people that will be attending Furlandia as well as Biggest Little FurCon, please check out our website for information on those panels as we have them. Speaking of our Patreon, though, thank you for that beautiful little segue, Vera. We do have one of those. And for people that would like to contribute more than, say, a rating or a review on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store, our Patreon is a great way to get involved with our community. It's a great way to help support the show, help us meet you know, ad costs, web hosting, upgrade equipment, and honestly, at the end of the day, expand our ability to go to more and more conventions to have more and more panels. Um, BLFC is essentially a direct result of that. My ability to go to, uh, furthermore, was a direct result of this, uh, of our Patreon. So really thank you very much for all of our patrons. We have many different tiers from, you know, just a simple thank you to getting a shout out at the end of every show. And, uh, one such patron who has that is a snares, a uh, longtime patron of ours. And he actually has a new comic project called Kai Juice. Uh, The flavor is buff. You know, it's an episodic comic that releases each month, and it's free to read. If you're a patron, though, you get early access and other rewards. And it's a comic about kaijus, macrofers, and size growth. And if you're not sure what a kaiju is, think like Godzilla. Think like Pacific Rim, the movie. You know, big monsters, big, buff, beefy. They're going to tear your city apart. You know, it's all sorts of fun. So visit his Patreon, patreon.com slash snares, as that is now his one-stop site for commissions and artist information. Check it out, trust me. Like, even if you're not into macro or kaiju or size growth or transformation, it's still wonderfully drawn and it's a fun story, so definitely check it out. Uh, Zarpolis is another one of our patrons, and if you're a fan of furry and high-tech sci-fi stories, you'd probably be interested in the works that he has authored in the Para-Imperium universe. Um, He's actually recently published a short novel with the Thirst in Hell Press that's titled The Pride of Para-Humans, and you can check it out on Amazon. Um, It's good speculative fiction, science fiction, 
you know, you would probably enjoy his works. You can also visit his Patreon at patreon.com slash bizarrepolis. Or if you're looking for a new friend on Twitter, maybe something a little bit lighter to get away from all the darkness. Myron is a wonderful person to follow. His Twitter handle is at MyronTheFluffy. Um, you can follow them for pictures and daily red panda dog ramblings. So, you a friend of Myron? Myron's a friend of mine. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and end the show for this week there. Again, next week we're going to talk about short-term relationships. I promise not to sing too much. It's not going to be the musical episode, unless you want it to be. Until then... I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Collie. Be well. Thank you.